Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila! You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello, and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. And like always, I try and bring you some of the most fascinating people in the world of HR technology and beyond. Today, we're talking to my good friend, Steve Brink. He's the CEO of Air Inc. Hello, Steve. How are you? Great, David. Great to be here. Thanks. Thank you. For those of you who don't know Steve, he is a passionate person around HR, HR technology, and data. He started his career way back when building a PC-based compensation tool that did compensation planning, and he called it the compensation workbench. It did compensation planning and a job evaluation. And Steve, that was back in 1987. Yes. Believe it or not, it was the first uh, compensation planning tool in the marketplace, PC-based. Wow. I remember those days of the PC. Did you build it in DOS? (laughs) Uh, Pretty much, yep. Wow. For those of you who don't remember DOSC, that meant Disk Operating System. And for those of us who actually used to program in it, it was actually fun because you knew exactly when your program stopped working. (laughs) Just so you know, uh, one of the fun things about Steve is he still holds a football record at his high school. Wow, that's after 42 years. That's, That's impressive. Most interceptions in a season with nine interceptions. Steve, were you a quarterback or were you the defensive back? I was on the defensive side there. <laughs> so that's actually a good record to continue to hold. Yes, right? it is. Yes, it is. Yes, Very positive. Is your name still hanging on the wall with the football? It is. It's actually on the, uh, It's if you go to one of my high school football games on the back of the program, they list all the school records and I'm still on there. Wow. Wow. Which which high school is this? Uh, it's, a, it's a Randolph High School in Texas. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to look on their website and see if they list you as well. So today, we're going to have a conversation about the challenges of workforce analytics. And it's not just reporting anymore. And Steve, I know you're really passionate about workforce analytics. You've been basically doing analytics your entire career, haven't you? Yes, I have. Long time. All right, Steve. So my first question is, what do people take for granted when they're trying to deal with workforce analytics? Kind of give me what your version of where do you find a lot of the challenges that your clients face in workforce analytics? Dave, that's a really good question. I think it falls in a couple of categories. One, I would say data in the HR in the HR department is the best word I've been able to find to describe it. It's helter-skelter. 
information is all over the place. It's not all centralized. Everybody thinks, oh, if you get a workday system, all the data is in one place. And that's not, that's not really, that's not true. You have information and disparate systems, and it's really challenging to bring those over. So what we typically have to do is build a data warehouse or an aggregator on top of these disparate systems so that you can do analysis on all the information all the time, not just pieces of information some of the time. And there's there's tools out there that are aggregators. Uh, there's a tool that's based in the UK called Uflex Rewards, and it sits on top of all these systems and it has data feeds on a regular basis that then you can actually go in and do that analysis because you're always missing some, some piece of information. So, so that's one thing. The other area, and I can give you an example of we were trying to predict about why assignments on expatriation, why they fail. So we're trying to look at some correlation and causation and simulation uh, around that. And, and, and basically, when we get back to that data, there was missing gaps of information. That's there true. was things that changes over time. So, for instance, your performance management system changes. So how do you line that up over, over time? And so there's missing gaps. So really, you have to become almost like a detective. And that's what's really right. exciting about the people analytics, because you have to go in and actually start understanding and be detective about what can I use as a proxy? How do I investigate this that I can use this? So one example of this, this company, um, large software company, had actually changed their performance management system over time. So he said, well, what can we use as a proxy? And so what we ended up using was how did their bonus get paid out relative to target? And we use that as a proxy of right. performance because i.e. that if you're performing better, then you would get a at, at target or above target. And if you did not perform as well, then you would actually be below target. So right. we use that that supplemental information as a way of describing how people were performing in their particular role. So those are th those are those are two two major items that we constantly see when you're talking about people analytics. But but I think one of the fun and interesting things about your what you're talking about with being a detective is that you really have to have a good grasp of whatever it is that issue is. And in the case of performance management, you are trying to look for signals in the other pieces of data that you did have, even if performance the performance management process wasn't giving you the signals that you were looking for. So you looked around and you looked at different processes and you found something that you could use and assume that that was actually going to give you better signals with less noise to be able to give you a better understanding about performance. Exactly. And I know that there are other companies that try and use that and they find different, well, I would say different problems with doing that. For example, then they have to true up to an annualized basis, right? So annual target versus annual payout. And mm -hmm. so if you don't have the payout from the bonus process on an annual basis, and you're looking at the actual numbers versus the annualized numbers, then that causes issues. But as long as you, and I'm sure you guys did this in your study, as long as you came to an understanding and you had all those assumptions documented, and you were able to show the pattern of getting from one place to another, then you could establish the criteria for making those judgment calls. And I, I'm sure you did that, right, Steve? Exactly right, Dave. Where were you when we needed you there, Dave? <laughs> I was consulting with other people at the time. <laughs> but, I, but I think it's important, though, and we've talked about this in a number of other podcasts, of having a good scientific method, but at the same time using the art form 
And in the case you're talking about, you're a detective, but you still used your understanding of the domain and you have a very right. strong understanding of the compensation domain to be able to find the right signals. And right. I, I, guess I, I guess I'll go back to you and ask you, when you go and you talk about to the, the clients that you're dealing with, you mentioned at the beginning, all of those missing signals and all that missing data, how do you help them be able to solve the problem of being able to utilize workforce analytics when you know that they are missing so much information? We don't know what's missing yet until that's what you got to understand, Dave, is like, is like, what is the data that's missing? Because what you have to start with, and that's where people analytics is just kind of, okay, I'm going to do some standard reports and this kind of thing. And, and, and that's fine. But really the value of people analytics is really, let's start doing some hypothesis. What are the problems that the business is actually having that is a human capital issue? And if you can start with a hypothesis to start your people analytics as a project to kind of say, I'm trying to prove if this is the case or I want to understand better if this is the case, then you can go in and go full into that. And then you find out, okay, what are the outcomes that, that, you're, that you need? What, what are we trying to prove? And what are the data then that do we need to follow up to actually to prove or disprove what we're trying to look for? And so once that, then you can start peeling the onion and looking the data elements and finding the gaps. And then you can say, like in that one example, performance was an issue. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't done very well. Now they're doing it much better. But at that time, if you look at that more historical information, we had to kind of come up with something else that would be a good proxy for that to be able to do that. So you don't know what you're missing until you get into the details of trying to say what you're looking to do. For many of the clients that we deal with, we first do an analysis of the data to start with, because to get the statistics, Steve, just to, to the descriptive stuff, not even hypothesis testing, it, right. but, but even to look at turnover rate or look at turnover reasons, or to, in your case, you were talking about performance management and you know looking at what is missing on performance. What we try and, and ask people to do is we do an audit of their data and be able to go through, you know, like basically look at, I don't know, 30 or 40 different pay elements or elements of people analytics. And then we go through them and we look at the holes that are there and we ask, like, as you were talking about, what are the signals that we could fill in if they don't want to go through a whole review of their job architecture, their location architecture, their reporting hierarchies, or some of these other demographic fields that we need. And what we find is a lot of companies will have to put off the descriptive statistics until they fix a lot of those things. Because I'll, I'll give you the example of turnover reason. If I don't know why someone left, I can't really do a good job of reviewing turnover rates until I understand what what are the right reason codes for why people actually left. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you might have seen that as you were going through and trying to do hypothesis testing is that you were also missing things that kind of help fill in the gap and fill in some of the understanding about why things were going the wrong way. Yeah, because because what very similar, Dave, when you talk about the turnover, what we were looking for is that why did certain assignments, well, we had, we had two, two proposals. One was, why did some, assign, people spent a lot of money on expatriation. Sure. And, so, and so why did some end early? I mean, how, how do you know that? You know, why, why, why? So we had to investigate, like, what's the information that's best to be able to, to, to do that? The other thing is that 
that the expatriation was not very diverse. So they were looking for reasons about were people, were the right people being asked to go on assignment or were they just being asked? The interesting thing about that, what we ended up a kind of conclusion is that when they looked at male versus female, uh, females were turning down assignments more at a higher rate than males. Sure. And so as we, as we started looking at that information, we were finding the women that were going, wanting to go on assignment, they were looking for more exceptions around housing because they were right. going to these locations and they were wanting to be in a gated community for something or, sure. or a safe housing that would cost a little more. And right. so the company actually ended up, based on that data, started changing some uh, ha- housing policies on expatriation to right. adapt to that because one of their goals was to increase diversity around their expat population. So that was kind of interesting outcomes, exactly what you're saying, Dave, around, around, around turnover. And that's what's so exciting about when we get into this people analytics, we can make a difference for the company in terms of overall to be able to make a business impact to the organization. And that's kind of the mindset. HR typically is passive, and sure. we can now be forefront and be the data scientists of actually allowing the company to perform better over time. Gosh, what's in that great? Isn't that what we all want to do is make a difference in the organization? And this Absolutely. is one area that we can do that in HR. Absolutely. And be good consultants and be able to help. You, you mentioned data scientists. You know, data scientists sometimes scares people. They say, oh, I, I don't know data. I don't know analytics. I, I don't want to look at the data. But what you're talking about, and you brought it up before, you can be a detective and detectives get get good answers because they start looking at all their available information and they formulate their hypotheses and they, they figure out whether they're right or wrong. And you could also look at it as you're being a good business consultant. You know about the business, you know about the details of the issue and the situation. And as you mentioned, being able to look at a policy, for example, housing allowances and housing preferences, and being able to make certain changes to how they work could lead to having a more diverse population of expatriates. And so that will make for a richer experience for the host group as well as for the target group. Um, And those expatriates will learn more. They'll get more cross-pollination in terms of their experience and be richer and better business associates. And therefore, you've made a program richer and better. And you're making good decisions as a good business consultant. Yeah, it's interesting, Dave. I mean, uh, World at Work approached me in kind of doing a survey on what they should do with their education program. And I've been teaching statistics for the World at Work for a very long time. Let's just say it that way. And so one of the things they asked me is that, is that where, Steve, what are you hearing? What, what, what are the issues that we can train and educate the HR you know, community uh, more to make us have more of an impact? And I said, well, you know, we're starting to get a, a seat at the table but we're, we don't necessarily have the business acumen to really go around with us to be the better consultant to, to the business. Right. And so one of the things that, that I suggested was, how do we get a mini MBA course, if you will, right. to talk about kind of the different measures and what does it mean in terms of the business thinking or the, the business acumen? And so I co-founded then with World at Work to actually develop a business acumen course which is now one of the more popular courses at World at Work to kind of for the for the HR professional. And That's so true. so it really helps in terms of what we're trying to do. It's got, you know, taking the class, all of a sudden you don't get a badge on your on your shoulder saying, I know business acumen now. It's a different way of thinking. You have to think 
with business acumen. And that's kind of thinking proactively, thinking about the impact of the business, you know, really looking at knowledge, looking at sound judgment, all of those kind of things is that how do we uplift kind of business acumen so we can make that part of a difference by based on what we know from the human capital assets of our organization and how that can lead to better business outcomes as an organization. And I think one of the ways that I've seen work very well in the past is by training HR to ask better questions. Because if you are giving them an understanding of a business, one of the things that does to them is allow them to stop becoming order takers and to start asking questions. And my three-letter word question that I love to ask is why. I, I love to train them on being able to go back to the people asking them for help and say, why do you need that set of data? Let me help you understand the kinds of things that I have at my disposal as a good consultant to you to be able to provide you with evidence of what you're asking for or to disprove theories to help you find the right data to help disprove theories for you and be able to get you to a different place. And then once they do that, then that business user can then have better conversations with them because they understand that the HR person is at a different understanding level now. They're at a different place and they can become that consultant that that person needs. Yeah, it's just like everybody makes the joke is that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm government and I'm here to help. Right. Is that many people thought like, hey, I'm HR, I'm come, come here to help. Right. And, it's, and it's like, well, people didn't think of HR that way. That's what right. people analytics is actually providing a mechanism to do exactly what you're saying, Dave. And, and as we start talking about that kind of what are the hypothesis, what are the things that we can actually start asking questions why because that starts developing kind of a hypothesis well is is turnover caused by you know bad you know that, that we're not paying enough which we know is not always the case there's management there's career development there's other things that go with it so so it's not just taking looking at the symptom it's actually looking at or what somebody's saying it's asking getting effective questions to kind of find out so that we can start testing the hypothesis based on all this immense data that we have and that's one thing that's great about all these different systems we have so much information now that it's just it's just it's just too much information now right, right. It's almost like watching tv you have too many channels to watch all the time Absolutely. right so, so what happens? So you're drinking from a fire hose. So we have to narrow it down and say, what are the particular issues that we're facing and be able to drive those and understand those and pinpoint those and actually then test those and then go back and say, well, we disprove that one. We disprove this one. But here's the real issue. And that's what really, really ends up making the difference. And that's what's really exciting when you're talking people analytics. Again, this is the fastest growing part of HR is yep. how do we help based on the data around our human capital assets in our organization, how can we help that now with the organization? It's almost analogous to what, what we saw in CRM systems, right? Sure. With CRM systems several decades ago, it's like, what are the buying patterns of, sure. of, of our clients, right? So we, we developed these systems and, and we are, you know, we are order takers before and it kind of evolved, right. right? We started understanding, well, why does, why does everybody buy on Tuesday or, you know, or Friday or whatever, right? right. And so, so, so then it started going, okay, now we can put actions in place that can do what? That then says, oh, let's send a reminder on Tuesday so that, you know, to make sure that they're, that they're buying on the Tuesday because that's right. the, that's the high net. We can apply those same methodologies. And the data science that we did on the sales side to actually to over on HR. 
And that's really, I think that's what we're really talking about here. And we just haven't gotten over that hump yet to be able to provide that kind of analytics to our different lines of business. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So HR has had access to benchmarks for quite some time. In fact, the survey business in the compensation world has been very robust and has been used by certain practitioners in the HR world for many years. And I'm talking about compensation surveys mostly. And even though there are benefit surveys too, the compensation surveys are the ones that are religiously participated in. They're religiously matched and religiously reviewed once the data comes back. And so the question I have for you is, when we think about the world of benchmarks inside of the world of people analytics, why hasn't it made that transition to allow people analytics to have good guideposts and to have good understanding about what other people do when we already have established good metrics around things like turnover rate? Why haven't we seen the adoption of these really good surveys, which would come out and tell us what is the benchmark for turnover rate? Why haven't we seen adoption of those kind of workforce analytics benchmarks throughout the world of people analytics? Wow. How long is this podcast again? There, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's just take on a little bit of that right now. <laughs> so, so I think let me just break, break that down a little bit because it's, it's a very loaded question is that let's just first say that benchmark does not mean best practice. Sure. That's right. Okay. So every company has their own business strategy and their own context, right? So just because someone else does something or their metric is something does not mean that you're, you're, you're pressured to, to be able to hit that metric because you have your own strategy, just right. even turnover. Maybe you have a strategy that says, you know what? I'm okay with certain turnover rates that are higher than my competition That's right. because, but, but, you know, maybe because I want more blood and, and more changes and this kind of thing right. that's happening to the organ. So we don't, we just don't know. So that's the important part. But, but then everybody wants to know, it's just like you losing weight, right? Is that you have your own blood type, your own body format and everything right. else. Right. And, and right. I've spent way too many, too many diets to figure this out. But, but the idea is that, is that, you know, yeah, you can lose your own weight because things that you do, whether you run or you play hockey, like some people I know, you know, <laughs> you know on, on, on the side, is that is that things that you do then to lose weight, it's up to you. It's in your context, right? Sure. Your best friend over there plays hockey on the side. I can't skate. I'm not going to play <laughs> hockey, right? So so the idea around this is that is that it's it's not that comparison. But immediately when you start losing weight, you, you, you want to look up metrics saying, I'm 6'1", and, and you know, what weight should I be at? That's right. Yeah. And and it's the same thing with, with, with people in legs, but everybody wants to know That's right. how to compare to someone else. So with that as the background, Dave, is that is that is that we just have to go with our eyes wide open. And and it's really hard you know to do this. So there's there's you know old systems out there where you kind of try to, to provide information and you can get the you know overall turnover rates, but even with that turnover rates is that what if somebody does more outsourcing of particular jobs right. they, they might they that forces them to actually have less turnover by That's definition right. right 
That's right. So, so that's why it's really, it's, you got to go with your eyes open on this. But everybody, executives will want to know. And, and, and Dave, I think we've talked about this long, for a long time, is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a frustrated economist. So, so on compensation benchmarking, we talk about the price side of the equation, right? What's yep. the price of labor? Well, right. on the people analytics, you want to start asking, well, it's price times quantity. That's right. Right. So it's P times Q is what, what I say. So how much are we spending on as simple as how much are we spending on the compensation department or on HR relative to others? That's so right. you can do that, you know, with us and be able to compare because that's a total kind of department code that you say, oh, right. who's all in this? But are somebody's outsourcing benefits, those yeah. type of things? It's really complicated from that perspective. That's why I said we could talk about this for a, for a lot. But this yeah. is where we start narrowing it down. But as we get systems that become more aggregated, right, and be able to fi find all that, it becomes easier at least to actually have something to compare. Right, right. now, it's even yeah. finding some comparison as a metric is really, it's really difficult um, it is. now. So, so anyway, so I, I know I'm, I, I could probably spend a lot more time, Dave, but I don't want to monopolize uh, the whole uh, the whole conversation here. But I think you brought up a good point, which is it's an art, not a science. And yep. being able to utilize benchmarks provides an index to be able to look at what is the return on investment for, let's say, a department for HR, which is the, the, the equation you were trying to get to of the number of people times the price of the people, right? And you were trying to say, what's the impact of that organization? And if you try and define benchmarking as a way being to being able to index your return on investment for a group, then you can actually show what could be. But those are the types of benchmarks we actually do not have in the world of HR. We don't have the index of return on personal, return on HR impact yet. And, and maybe we'll get there as we become more sophisticated as a people analytics world. But I think what we've tried to do is we've tried to look at the existing benchmarks that we're familiar with, like like compensation benchmark, and to be able to say, what do they do versus what we do? And to your point, though, it depends on your culture. It depends on your business strategy about where am I going to pay? Where am I looking at? Am I looking at paying at the 25th percentile, at the median, at the 75th, and be able to make judgments? In the same way, I've also consulted with my clients about looking at their experience on turnover, especially when we're talking about involuntary turnover, sorry, voluntary turnover, involuntary, they, they really, they, it's just a personal, it's just a business issue. But right. with the voluntary turnover, when people leave, why do they leave? And that's why it's critical, even if you were going to benchmark that to understand the types of voluntary turnover, why did people leave? What were the reasons? And that is something we still don't actually have. We don't have those things from an industry perspective. And so when because, I guess, because, because Dave, just sorry to interrupt, yeah, but, sure. but it's that whole standardization, right? Absolutely. You have to almost start getting some standard or like a Dewey decimal system, if you That's will, right. or yep. for, for HR to be yep. able to ultimately get to where we want. And, and I right. want to go back about, about the price that you're going through is that let's say we want to, we want to benchmark a compensation analyst. Yep. Very, very simple compensation analyst. Yep. Well, you, what we all do, we go to the reports and we look it up and we say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's 60,000, right, per year right. In, the, in the U.S. And so all of a sudden we say it's 60,000 and then, then all of a sudden, so you write down and say, oh, it's 60,000. Okay, I got that. But those companies you benchmarking, they might have, they might have four people in the compensation analyst 
It could be the same industry. It could be the same size company and everything. Right. They have four, but you only have two. Yeah. Wait a minute. Who's doing better? <laughs> you know, theoretically, you could right. almost pay those twice as much. Right. To be to, for, compared to what what that other company's sure. doing, and we sure. leave that out of the equation because we only focus on the price of labor, price, price, price. We don't look at the more holistic view of how much is our organization spending on compensation um, professionals within our organization. Right. That's right. I mean, that that's where people analytics will get really cool because of of, of that of that difference. So. To that end, I think what you're asking for is what are those comp analysts doing? Are they doing the work of four people, even though there are only two? Are they at a higher level? And so you have to ask what skills do they have? What does their job description look like? Once you start doing that and you compare, you actually compare the descriptions and the levels and the proficiencies and the professional number of years of experience that they have, then you can actually be more accurate about your comparisons. And we tend to let those... I guess you could say rough edges. We we leave them alone because we try and say the word comp analyst and we all, we, we both know because we've worked with lots of comp analysts in yeah. our time. We, we try and say comp analyst and then there's a picture in our mind, even though that picture is very diverse and is actually on a bell curve. Right. And so I think once we start getting to the level where we get more detailed and we start asking about skills and we start asking about levels and we start asking about those number of years of proficiency. That's when we can actually have a much more accurate description and talk about that bang for the buck and talk about that return on the investment for the comp group. But until we do that, we're still kind of working at the periphery and having different discussions and probably having discussions that lead to other interesting business outcomes which is we need another comp analyst or we're not paying our comp analysts enough. And they might be incorrect conclusions, but they're, again, they're personal to that company. I want to thank Steve Brink for coming on and talking to us about workforce analytics and also to start the conversation or benchmarking. I think, Steve, we're going to have to pick this up at another time, if you don't mind. That's fine. I I look forward to it, Dave. Good good, good chat. I always love talking about this, uh, about people analytics and uh, and, and how how HR can actually make a difference to to, to the business. Awesome. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And if you like the podcast, please hit subscribe. If you know somebody who might also be interested in it, please send it over to them. And thank you very much. And please stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show, add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.